Things change from one generation to the next. Attitudes, politics, technology, even lifestyles. But when it comes to business, there's one thing every generation has in common. The pursuit of excellence. Welcome to Generation Excellence. A conversation with next-gen leaders of family businesses who are working to preserve the past and innovate the future. And now, here's the host of Generation Excellence and a third-generation business owner himself, Jamie Michelson. Jamie? It's now become an end-of-calendar-year tradition on this podcast to break from interviewing leaders of generational businesses and to turn to an expert advisor in the field. I was recently introduced to Stephen Goodman, author of the book Business Succession Planning, and President and CEO of SHG Planning. Stephen helps advise individuals and teams around business succession, retirement, wealth management, including preserving wealth and giving it away. I'd say he gave away a wealth of information in our spirited conversation. Without further delay, please enjoy this 24th episode of Generation Excellence. Well, Stephen Goodman, welcome to the Generation Excellence podcast. I thank you for doing this. So I, you know, I mentioned kind of the structure I've done with business leaders who represent generations and, and in their business, but for yourself, someone who's your, as far as I understand, a CPA, you got your MBA, you've worked at some larger financial institutions earlier in your career as leading into sort of consulting and advising family businesses. But I guess, take me back to call it middle school, high school for yourself, like did you know you wanted to be in business? Did you know you wanted to be in that world of finance? What was your, what was your sort of either the business your family was in and the, your path all the way back there? Well, mine is a little bit unusual. So most um, are. <laughs> so I basically a lot of uh, let's just say sorrow early in my life. Uh, grew up in the Bronx. Didn't come from any money. Both of my parents got sick very early and passed away. Uh, my dad was in his own business. It was a dry cleaning business, but you know, just kind of getting by nothing, you know, nothing successful in any way, shape or form. Um, had no clue when I was in like high school, you know, came from an area where there wasn't a lot of money. There wasn't a lot of entrepreneurs, successful okay. people. You know, sometimes if you're not around people, you know, if you're not around people, you're just not even exposed to Don't it other than what you see on like television or read in a book. So I uh, <clears throat> basically, I, um, when I went to college, you know, thank God I did pretty well in school. I went to college, had an undergraduate degree in accounting. I got out, I went okay. to work for KPMG. One, back then it was Pete Morrock, one of the big accounting firms, mostly had banking clientele. Uh, then went to work for, back then it was Chemical Bank, now J.P. Morgan. Yep. I was a VP in their private bank. And when I was there, <clears throat> you know, the bank was involved in asset management and estate planning and trust planning and insurance planning. And I just got very exposed to, we'll call it the broad financial planning world. And I've always been an avid reader and I would read and read and read and read and decided before I was going to start a family, I had to take a little bit of a risk. I wanted to kind of go in that direction. So okay. I kind of got into the, we'll call it financial planning arena, but very quickly gravitated into doing higher end, sophisticated estate business succession planning. And it turned out that the clients that I found most enjoyable and challenging to work with were family businesses. So uh, there was nothing really in my early life that would have remotely made me think I would go in that direction. But that's kind of how it all came about. Was there someone who was sort of a mentor to you in that early part of the journey that that you you know took a lot away from or turned to? Um, not not really. I mean, you know, I I kind of partnered up with somebody early on okay. that was a contemporary of mine, but had a little more experience in this area. So certainly learn from them. So the combination that I have, I think a really good background and I'm a quick learner and I happen to have been with somebody who was good at it and smart and sharing. Um, I was able like within about a year or two of being in this business to really be already working on more substantive and complicated matters. Got it. And, and so SHG planning that that entity was founded when when 1987 ish okay so great run doing that and do you recall like the first client i mean is there 
sort of. Yeah, I actually do recall the first client. It was a friend of mine where I lived in Long Island. He was a chiropractor. He had a partner. Okay. And he was nice enough. He could have very easily said, you know, Steve, you know, you don't have a lot of experience. He had been working with somebody, but he was very nice. He gave me a chance. And I, you know, because I was already very knowledgeable, even though I hadn't been in the field that long, I was able to come in and provide a lot of help to him and his partner. And they introduced me to people. And then I do a lot of networking with CPAs because CPAs have a lot of influence with their clients. And even though I'm an accountant, I don't look to be your accountant. Okay. Um, kind of complement the services that a CPA does. So I've done a lot of networking with trust and estate lawyers and CPAs and kind of that's how I grew my business over the years. And so then in that, that journey of growing that business, you, you wrote, authored a book uh, that is business succession planning. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I wrote the book a few years ago. Okay. Uh, not, not, not for, for purposes of selling it like as a revenue generator, but, you know, just more from a marketing and a branding promoting standpoint, um, a lot easier when people know you've written a book, it doesn't make me any smarter, but to some people, <laughs> it makes you smarter when you write a book. Yeah, I noticed, I noticed the book, all the S's are dollar signs on the, yes. uh, the, the cover of the, the, or the naming of the book. Was that something that you thought about doing for a long time, about doing the book? A book? Yeah. Yeah. And I was told by some people that I respected that it was a good way of promoting and branding yourself. And it's, it's clearly helped. I mean, sure. there's, there's no question that I've gotten clients and gotten introductions because I wrote the book. So as I mentioned to you, this podcast, I think, you know, data only shows you so much, but listened to by business leaders that I think are in unique generational businesses and going through or thinking about or addressing those, those shifts for, you know, into future generations or having those conversations. So what, what advice do you give where you get a chance? Let's say it's the, let's talk about our business, third generation. So where there's that second and even third involved and have different perspectives on things. Like how do you get them to talk about the things they need? How do you get them to get on the table? Some of the things they need to get on the table. Well, that's a good question. I mean, you know, obviously I think I'm pretty good at what I do. And when, when given the opportunity to help somebody and they want to be helped, I generally could provide a tremendous amount of value. I mean, there are obviously people who are either afraid to be helped or don't want to be helped. And, you know, I can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped. So, you know, a lot of it is, you know, just trying to build a comfort and a, and a, and a warmth in dialogue so somebody feels comfortable opening up. Now, sometimes people will open up to a stranger more than they'll open up to somebody they know very well because they don't know you and then they're willing to kind of lay mm -hmm. more stuff out on the table. Um, I've, I've always said that um, there's, a, there's a handful of reasons why people don't plan properly. Um, one reason I find is that they're entrepreneurs, and as an entrepreneur, they're putting out fires constantly, mm -hmm. and they, they focus almost all of the time on what is important to do today, not so much what's important to do for a month from now or a year from now. And the types of things that I work on and help people on are not necessarily going to help them today. It's going to help them over time. Sure. And basically, so one, op one obstacle that you run into is just getting them willing to focus and stay focused because of the fact that they just are busy and this isn't something that's going to help them today. The other issue, which I think is even more critical, is that, and this is generally more so with men than even women, and, and in the age group where I'm doing a lot of succession work, which are people in their 60s, 70s, you know, today still primarily business is run by men. You know, it's obviously changing and, and the, uh, and the uh, you know, as time goes on, it'll be more and more women that have founded and, and yep. grown companies. But in that age category, it's mostly men. And, and the analogy I always give is like, I'm a dad and I have two kids. They're not in my business. But, you know, throughout my life of being a dad, 
they constantly play you against one another. You know, you got me this, you know, got him this, <laughs> I want this. And, you know, you spend your life kind of like constantly reinforcing to your children that you love them the same and you're always going to treat them the same. And then one day you're a business owner and you look in the mirror and you say, you know, I got this business. It's worth, you know, 20 million, 30 million, 10 million, 100 million, 200 million. And I got kids in the business. I got kids not in the business. Yeah. I have kids in the business who've really made a big contribution. I have kids in the business that are really only in the business because they're my kids. I got kids that are not in the business that may be more talented than some of my kids in my business. And then I have kids not in my business that just can never find themselves. Mm-hmm. And I've spent my whole life telling my children that I'm going to always treat them the same. And then I sit there and say, well, wait a minute. Like, am I going to give all of my kids an equal ownership and treat them all the same when some are in the business, some are not in the business, some are making different contributions in the business. And, and what ends up happening is as a father, because I understand this as a father, you cherish and value your relationships with your children, sometimes with their spouses, and obviously with your grandchildren, if you're fortunate enough to have grandchildren. And sometimes what happens is the business owner says that if I really open up, and I really tell all my kids what my plans are, and I kind of lay it all on the line, yep. there are going to be people that aren't happy in what they're going to hear. And if my children aren't happy what they're going to hear, my daughter-in-laws and son-in-laws are probably going to be even more unhappy about what they hear. And especially if it's a son, my daughter-in-law could then end up holding my grandchildren as hostage against me and kind of say like, you know, if that's how your father and your mom are going to treat us, then, you know, hell with them. I'm not, they're not going to see the grandkids. So you, you find. There's a lot of times the entrepreneur, again, especially a man says, I don't want to open up Pandora's Hmm. box. And if I don't do any planning and I die, and after I'm dead or my wife and I are dead, it says I left everything equal to everybody. And and they start asking the accountant and the lawyers, you know, and they all say, look, we can never get your dad or your dad and mom to sit down. Hmm. It's almost like the worst thing you could get mad at me for is that I never planned. But if I die and you see very well thought out plans that really showed I gave a lot of thought to this, like it can cause such animosity between the children because they're like, that's how my dad thought of me. And why did they give my brother or sister that? And they didn't give it to me. And I'm not talking about, you know, just getting like a different piece of jewelry that may, you know, get somebody upset. I'm talking about more substantive things with businesses. So I think it's the combination of, of, being busy and not wanting to focus on stuff that's today, only want to focus on stuff that's today, and being scared to really open up and, and start getting everybody involved in the process, I think are two things that I find generally makes it very hard for you know, successful entrepreneurs to properly plan. And do you, I mean, I, 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 I totally hear you. And I think the, what could be seen as avoidance or not, I mean, generally business doesn't get to the point of having that kind of scale if there wasn't planning going along along the way. So there's an understanding of the need to plan. But when you start talking about those personal relationships and family relationships and tearing those apart, you could choose to avoid something that needs to be dealt with. Is that, do you find as you go through, so let's say it's a business now, the second or beyond generation is running. Is it the dynamic, is that dynamic the same or does it, or is that a little more sort of the founder, original entrepreneur? I think there are similarities because everybody beats to their own drum. I think the advantage and disadvantage you have in second generations is the person running the business has been through this process, yeah. but from the other side. They've been the kid, now they're the parent, all right? So, and they, they were the child of the founder to not being the founder, but being the person as the CEO and running the company. So it, it, in some ways it's a positive because they're more enlightened as to what the risks and rewards are of doing it. But sometimes they're also jaded to a degree mm-hmm. because they have that built in experience 
whether it's positive or negative, right. That's that, what they they... Bring, that they bring to the table. I, I mean, I would say generally, you normally will find that somebody running a business that isn't the founder, you know, who's there's been other generations before them, I think is usually a little easier on average to do this for because they've experienced it and they've seen the problems that occur when you don't do proper planning. Yeah, yeah. But I would say to you, where it gets more complicated is the following. Let's use you as an example. I don't know your situation, but let's say dad started a business and dad owned 100% of the business and dad made all the decisions. And now you and your sister are in the business. Mm -hmm. Now each of you guys own 50% of the business and each of you have kids. Have in the kids, business. the cousins. So now, now the business starts having to feed more families and you don't have the same control over the, the, the planning and succession decisions that your father or mother had because they were in 100% control of the business. So as you go down generations, there becomes more owners, more decision makers, and more families that are relying upon the business. And I find that makes it usually much more complicated. Yeah. And you quote in some of your uh, site, and in, in, I don't know if it's in your fully in your book, but the, that small percentage that make it to the third or beyond that isn't necessarily always because of the business just ceased to exist or whatever. It's often that complexity creates a transaction, maybe a sale, different things happen because of what you just outlined. Oh, no, 100%. Uh, 100%. It's like, and, the, the, and the interesting thing is, from my perspective, the more complicated it gets, to me, the more interested I am. Like, <laughs> I like complication because I feel like, I feel like when it's complicated, I could bring value. I feel like, you know, like if you have somebody who has a pretty basic, simple, plain vanilla situation, what ends up happening is it's easy to solve it and yeah. maybe it's already been solved. But like, you know, I'll get brought into situations where it's like business is on 50-50 by two brothers. One of them's been divorced. One who's divorced is on a second marriage. He has kids from his first marriage. He's got kids from his second marriage. He's got kids in the business from his first marriage. He's got kids in the business from the second marriage. He's got a partner who has kids in and out of the business. Some are in the business, some are out of the business. And it's like they have like an old agreement that they signed when they were younger. Uh -huh. Now it's complicated. And like, you know, one partner says to the other, well, you know, if I die, I don't really want to be bought out. I want to be able to pass the business to my kids. And then the other brother or partner says, yeah, but I don't really want to be partners with your kid. And it's like, and, it, and it's like, well, what do I provide to my kids from my first marriage versus my kids from my second marriage? And what do I provide to my kids in the business versus my kids not in the business? And it's like, the more and more of those layers and complication, the, the more I feel I could shine because I've seen... I've seen You've everything. seen it. You can help. It's magnetic to you. At the same time, I guess I'm trying to come at it from providing content or all that to help people avoid. As I like to say, I really enjoy watching Succession on HBO because it's great. high drama and every character is hateful. But in real life, most of the businesses, people I interview that have sort of quietly noisy, successful generational businesses don't have all that high drama. Um, they try to. They try not to have it. So, so where where do you head some of that off? Like, how do you, how do you, this is the old make yourself obsolete. Like, how do you tell some of these businesses what things should they be thinking about or doing? So maybe they don't necessarily need someone like you who's really good at 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 at, at, at kind of getting the complexity managed or addressed. I, I the the. Everybody still needs a doctor. Everybody still needs a lawyer. Everybody still needs an accountant. Okay. So you could minimize some of what I do. The more you are open to listening, yeah. the more open communication you have with family, your spouse, your children, the more your advisors work as a team rather than their egos getting in the way and everybody trying to one up somebody to be like the star of the team. You know, so if you have advisors that work closely together, you're very open as a founder, you listen to people, you want to hear people's opinions, you, you're open to talking with your children, you, you have 
maybe a board of directors that includes people outside of just you and your family. So you have some outside people okay. that you trust. You have when there's arbitration or mediation in issues, you have people that the family respects and trust that they're gonna be objective. And it's not like somebody just my dad picked who's always gonna say whatever's best for my dad, so I can't really trust them. Uh -huh. You know, somebody that's truly objective. I think the more of that, that type of scenario, the better the odds are that you don't need somebody that does what I do to the degree that other people may. Got it. And some, so some of these, these business owner, business leaders in these generational businesses, and they can be, yeah, uh, like you mentioned, a chiropractic business or a medical practice, or it can do construction. I mean, some, they're not, you know, we, we seem to kind of the obsession in the business media is a lot of the platforms and technology companies and, you know, those high flyers, but the big bulk of businesses are, I don't want to call them boring, but, you know, they do what they do and they do it for a long time. So what, when you first get connected with somebody, referrals you talked about in your network, what, what questions are you asking business leaders? Just what are your, to get to know them? What are your early questions you ask? Well, did you found the business or was it started you know, prior okay. to, to you? Um, if you found the business, tell me a little about it. Give me a story. People yep. like to talk about their story. Yep. You know? Tell me, you know, how'd you get into a business like this? You know, it's just, it's a unique, different business. Tell me about your business. Tell me about struggles you've had in your business. Tell me about successes you've had in your business. Okay. You know, tell me about your family. Tell me about, is it your first marriage? Is it a second marriage? If it's, if it's a second marriage, you know, do you have a relationship with your prior spouse? Um, how do your kids get along? How do you get along with your son-in-laws and daughter-in-laws and your in-laws? Um, how do you, if it's a second marriage, how do your kids from your first marriage get along with your current spouse or, or you know, children that she or he may have or that you've had together? Um, tell me about your advisory team. How long have you been working with them? Why, why, why do you work with them? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what what do you like about working with them? What don't you like about working with them? And then, you know, getting more specific into like, what kind of planning have you done? There, okay, when great. did you do the planning? How long did it take you to do the planning? What were some of your obstacles in doing the planning? What some of the successes that you've had from planning? What are some of the things that keep you up at night? You know, what, yep. if something happened to you tomorrow, what would, what would happen, happen to this business? You know, like I can keep going on and on. Sure, and on sure. And on. I don't, one thing I don't use I've never used is I'm not someone who goes into a meeting with a questionnaire. Like okay. mine is very like shoot from the hip. Have like a I ask you a question <laughs> and I kind of see where that conversation goes. And I've kind of done it enough that like, I, I, I don't have to think about what's going to be my next question. I don't know what my next question is going to be until I see how you answer okay. the question before. And people like that because if you're sitting there and you're checking off things, it's, 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 you need that momentum and, and that, that people are more comfortable when you, you speak that way. Got it. And, and the, I mean, you said in some of your writings that you're good at being at the table. So there's, there's the accounting group, there's lawyers, maybe there's one other advisor. You kind of help round that out by getting those, those groups to, to talk together, work together. Is that correct? That, that sort of yeah, setting. I mean, I, I would say to you, I would say to you that there's a few things that I think are my unique selling proposition. You know, like we all feel we're really good. Bringing at some something. advertising terms into this discussion. Here. Yeah. So, so what is it? I'll, I'll tell you what I think it is. Um, let's say you're sitting with your family in an important me meeting, and around the table is your CPA. There's maybe like a corporate or trust and estate lawyer. You have maybe somebody who handles like your pension. You have like a financial advisor manages okay. your money. Maybe you have an insurance professional, like everybody's sitting around the table and everybody in the room, let's just give it that they're all smart and they're all very good at what they do. Okay. And they all have an understanding of some of the things that the other people around the table do. You know, yeah. the insurance guy knows something about investments. The investment guy knows something about estate planning. Estate planning person knows something about taxes. You know, in almost every circumstance, I'm the person in that room 
that knows more about what everybody else does than everybody other than the person who does it. So okay. like, I know more about estate planning than anybody in that room other than the estate attorney. I know more about taxes and financial statements and being an accountant than anybody in the room except the accountant. Got it. So it's kind of like the analogy I give is, you know, in the UN, everybody's wearing the headset because the guy's speaking Portuguese and somebody it's interpreted. Translator. The guy who speaks Spanish and Italian and French, Fran French and English and Russian. I'm the person who makes sure nothing slips through the cracks. So I understand everything that every advisor is speaking about in the meeting. And then I'm, I'm also skilled at bringing it down to the client's level. So I'll like say, well, you know, well, you know, Joe or Bill, let me tell you what, what your accountant is really trying to tell you. And let me tell you what the issue really is. And let me tell you another way you could do what your accountant just told you, and here's the pluses and minuses to it. So okay. it's like, I'm, I'm the one like keeping the meeting going. I'm the one puts the agenda together. I'm the one who sets up what everybody's responsibilities are before the next meeting. And I'm the one to make sure nothing slips through the cracks. That's really what I kind of bring to the table. And, you know, not to say that there aren't, aren't other people at the meeting that are also very skilled and very talented, but also I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not an ego guy. So it's like, I'm not doing it to step on anybody's toes. I'm mm -hmm. very respectful that like, I don't have the length of relationship that the CPA or the sure. attorney has with the client. And it's a lot easier for them to fire me than it is to fire their accountant and attorney who they've worked with for 30 for years. years. But, but I try to develop, I, I protect them. Like I never say anything like you, you're wrong or that like, if there's anything I don't agree with, I, I speak about it in private to the accountant or the attorney outside of the meeting when the client's not there to say why maybe I would do it a little differently. Okay. So people like that because they see that I'm never like stepping on anybody's toes. Well, and your, and your seat, your chair at that table gets at some stuff that can be pretty emotional. I mean, there's very rational, there's black and white to the numbers and the taxes and even right the insurance stuff set up to match up by sell. I mean, you know, a lot of that stuff can become very cold and but there's, you mentioned, when you start talking about family trees and relationships, there's a lot of the, the human stuff connected that somebody has to, that's why I asked about getting it on the table or getting it out there. The, adv the advice I got years ago was there's a lot, at least it was in our business or in other family businesses, you, some of, there's a lot that's unsaid that some of it needs to get said. Everything that's unsaid doesn't need to be said. That's not very healthy. Right. <laughs> Keep a little of filter in there. But, right. but sometimes some of those things have to be either pulled out of the patriarch or matriarch, right? That, that generation or the next gen has some things they want to say and they need opportunity to voice it or have it at least be addressed or discussed, right? No, it's interesting you say it because a lot of times what I'll say to the founder is I'll say to them, look, unlike your accountant and your lawyer who've worked with you for a long time and there's gonna be other things you need them for above and beyond this. And they're never gonna to wanna to upset the apple cart mm -hmm. too much with you because they have too much to lose. I don't really serve a purpose other than helping you in this area. So I'm going to be the one who's gonna say things to you that they're never gonna to say to you. And I'm gonna to try to push the ball forward because if I'm unable to do it, I don't really serve a purpose and I'm not afraid to get fired because whether I'm fired or I'm not fired, but I'm not getting anything done is to me, it's almost the same right, thing because right. I don't really have any other purpose. It's not like I'm gonna be doing other stuff for you besides this. So, you know, that's, and, and there are, there's some business owners, like I find sometimes business owners wanna bifurcate their advisors because they want to be in control. So like mm -hmm. if, I, if the business owner speaks separately to his accountant and his lawyer and to me and to his insurance guy or his financial advisor, then it's like they have the power over them. But if like we have a meeting together and everybody, you're the owner, and we all say to you, you know, like, we don't think you're doing it the right way. And you hear it from all five people in the meeting. It's a lot harder for you as the business owner to say poo poo, like, I'm right and they're all wrong. You know, it's like if all five of them think something, you know, there must be, I got to at least listen to it and be a little bit more open to it. 
So that's also part of it, why it's important to have a team where everybody respects one another and you're not trying to be like the, the person who's controlling everything. So I was going to say control being a huge word. I, I, I mean, that's my feeling or sense. The command and control sort of way often of founders of these growing successful businesses. And then, so talk a little bit about the idea of legacy. You know, businesses that are founded and go on for a while and they do what they do and they do it well, but they both, you know, the founder wants to leave some sort of mark and the next group wants to make their mark and make it better and improve it or take it in different directions. How, how, how would you say you speak to that or get involved in that or your view on that? Well, I think, look, I think that a lot of founders of companies or, you know, CEOs who may have taken over, but kind of have been running the business for a long time, they almost view the business as like another child. Mm -hmm. You know, it's important to them. You know, they may have been in the business longer than they've been a father or a mother. Mm -hmm. You know, the business may have been with the family or with them much longer than their children have been with them. So I think that you need to respect and understand how important that is to people. You know, some people are very like, if I get the right offer, I'm done, you know, give me the right price and I'm out of here. But there's a lot of people that, they yeah. want that legacy. They want that family name business to continue for generation where somewhere down the road, maybe a hundred years from that is going to be a great, great grandkid who's going mm -hmm. to see a picture of their great, great grandfather in the room that he started the business and what he was like. Cause they, it's a way to have a connection to that person that you never met in your life. It's connected through the business. It's, you know, being left a trust fund that has, you know, $5 million in it, that you're getting interest off of it is not the same kind of connection no. that somebody has to a family member they never met than, you know, being in a business in a building and seeing pictures of the generations before them that they may never have met the person. So I think, I think that, you know, that is a very, very key thing. And then I think also you hit upon something that's a great point is that, most kids, especially the ones that are the more talented, they want to make a name for themselves. You know, they don't want to, they know, like anybody who's in a family business knows that they have friends who are not in family businesses that are thinking, eh, the only reason Bob or Bill lives the yep. life that Bob or Bill lives is because mommy and daddy had a lot of money and they had a successful business. And if Bob and, or Bill or Joan had to find their own way and start from scratch, like if they dropped me on a deserted island, they dropped my friend on a deserted island, we had to survive and we had nobody to call up, I would run circles around them because I had to learn how to survive and they never did it. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff that's built into yep. kids and family businesses that like, so like, you know, they want to they want to take that business from a $5 million business to a $50 million business. Now, yes, a lot easier to take a $5 million business sure. to a $50 million business than to take nothing to a $5 million it, business. Yeah. But it still takes a hell of a lot of skill to take a $5 million business to a $50 million business. You still had a, assuming you did it and it was really you who did it, that takes a lot. And so I think there's, I think there's that pride that, a, that a, a child wants to be able to show their parents and themselves, mm -hmm. and then maybe their friends and family that like, you know, this wasn't just mommy or daddy who did this, this is something I did. And I'll give you actually an interesting scenario to that, actually a good like story. So I, I go out and I meet with, you know, somebody who's like, I don't know, in his fifties, and he's in this big bu building, it's a big company, you mm -hmm. know, this was years ago before, like I even like Googled things and stuff like that. <laughs> Because I just remember this story, it stuck with me. And he's sitting behind his desk and, you know, asking him some questions. And then I get into some of the meaty questions. And I ask him a question. I go, so, you know, by the way, uh, you know, Bill, what percentage of the business do you own? And he says, I don't own any of it. Mm -hmm. So, like, I kind of have a sense where this may go, but I keep going. So I go, well, Bill, who owns the business? And he goes, my mom, who's like in her 80s. Mm -hmm. So now I know for sure what happened, but I keep going. So tell me, Bill, like, what happened? It was, well, you know, look, my dad was like in his early 60s. He had a heart attack and he died. I had just come into business. I was in my 30s. And there really wasn't much planning done. And my dad had like a simple will that said, I leave everything to mom. To my wife. Yeah. Mom 
got the business when she was 60. I was in the business and I've built this business from a $5 million business to a $50 million business. It wasn't my dad. I did it. And then we talked about a couple of things. And one of the things that I said to him, and he said, you couldn't be more right. I said, there is the difference between a mother and a wife and a widow. When somebody becomes a widow, especially early on, mm -hmm. especially if the man happens to have been the one who was really the breadwinner and handled the financial things, a woman in that situation doesn't handle herself like she did when she was a mother and a wife. She handles herself, she's much more concerned, much more conservative, much more afraid. And what ends up happening a lot of times is very scared to do anything, to give up assets, to, to, to sell assets, gift assets, do planning. She's very protective. And that's kind of what happened in sure. this situation. Because when I spoke to Bill, you know, he said, I have no idea about my mother's planning. She won't tell me. So I said, I go, I really, you know, gave him like indigestion when I was done with him. But I said, <laughs> you know, let's, let's look at all these issues. You, do you understand that when your mom dies, she's going to have a $50 million business in her estate and whoever inherits this business is going to be pay estate taxes on. It could be $20 million of taxes or more. And the IRS doesn't care that you were the one well, who, who built, built the business up. Yep. It's in her name. And like, he didn't really understand that. I go, and let me ask you a question, just out of curiosity. Out of, you told me you had a brother and sister. Out of the three siblings, who gets along best with your mother? Who gets along worse with your mom? He goes, it's easy. My sister gets along best with my mom by far because you know she's there the most helping my mom out. Yeah. She sees her, my grand, you know, my sister's kids the most. And I by far have the worst relationship with mom because we're always and bickering over things pertaining to the business. So I go, so you realize that your mom could potentially leave this business to all three of your siblings, a third each, and you would be a minority shareholder in this company. He goes, yeah. I go, well, maybe she just leaves it to your brother and sister because she likes them better than yeah. you. So I go, you've just invested, you know, 20, 25 of your most important years in your life building a business that you may never get the benefit from. So that's kind of an example. Yeah, that's a great some example. Some of the things that you find, and it's hard to avoid because it's very difficult when you meet somebody who's 60 years old and they have a son or daughter in their business who's 30 and they've only been in the business for a year or two, but that person to be thinking very deeply about succession and legacy planning because they almost take the position like, I don't know, maybe my other kid will come in the business. I don't know who's going to be in the business. My kid's only been in the business a year. So like generally under those scenarios, other than making sure you have adequate life insurance and you have enough liquidity to protect everybody in, you know, that's in the business. A lot of times when people die that early, there really isn't anybody who's done planning and you end up with some of those disasters. Now, maybe if mom in that scenario was left five or $10 million of insurance and she would have known, you know, her advisors would have said, you know, Miriam, you, you've got more than enough money to live the rest of your life. You know, we should try to do some planning here. Maybe she would have been more apt, but if she was reliant upon the income from that business, providing her a lifestyle, she was going to be much more careful about giving up control and giving sure. away some of it. Either giving those shares or even having them bought by that next gen. Right. And then that next gen who's 50 wants to do planning with someone like you. And how do they do it based on to take care of their kids when these shares in the business, they're acting aren't like the owner, aren't in their hands, and will they be in their, in their hands and how they figure their other things around that. We, I mean, the cautionary tales, I think, are, are often quite instructive in your world I, and because and that's what people are trying to avoid. What couple of last questions. So what advice do you give to, I'll call them next gens, who, because I'm sure you see them through relations to your kids, the people you advise, neighbors who are looking or considering entering one of these family businesses. What advice do you do you give to to that? And let's well, let's assume I, let's I, assume they've worked a little bit somewhere else, so they have a. It's not purely they got that job because it's the family. So they have a little bit of a pedigree now, and they've 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 proven themselves that they're a hard worker with some success somewhere else. But they're going to enter that family operation. I think they need to have a, a, a very long and very deep 
conversation with their parents, you know, parents, father, mother, whoever's running the business. Because I think at the end of the day, you, you shouldn't be in your family's business out of obligation or commitment. Mm -hmm. You should be in your family's business because you actually enjoy it. You like the legacy. You like it continuing. You think you could be an asset. And I think the the father or the mother shouldn't want you in the business unless they believe that you can really Great. help the business grow and be an asset. There are so many family businesses. Look, there are kids, they come out of college. You know, let's face it, most people when they're 22 years old, they're too immature to know for sure what they want to do sure. in their life. You know, it's just, it is what it is. And sometimes, you know, they can't find themselves. Like, you know, they try to do things. Oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be in the real estate business. I'm going <laughs> to sell, you know, some investment business. I'm going to try to start my own company. And, and someday they sit there and go, I haven't really got it off the ground, but I know I can go into mom and dad's business and they'll pay me a quarter of a million dollars a year. And I have a paycheck and I know I got something there. So they end up going into the business, but they don't really want to be in the business. And mom and dad maybe don't really even want them to be in the business, but they kind of accept them because it's their kid and they want to make sure the kid is taken care of and their grandkids are taken care mm -hmm. of. So they take them in the business. So I think, I think that's a big thing to really like talk it out. And, and like, if you know that you've always had issues with your parents you just fight all the time and you know you don't see eye to eye on things you know you got to be realistic that that, that it's probably going to be similar going to carry over the business yeah. and if you know and if you're not going to magnified able, if you're not going to be able to handle it you know like in a few good men you know you can't handle the truth you know if you're not going <laughs> to be able to handle it why are you getting yourself in it you know it's not like mom and dad died and like the business is going to fail and you say i'm going to step into the business and see if i could save it that's different. You know, this is mom and dad are alive and they're active in the business. And, you know, you've known you've had issues with your family. You know, you, you got to realize that before you step into the business. So you do these, um, you know, seminars and webinars and things where you do that to get your expertise out there and your book and all of that and to build relationships and you have individual meetings, their clients. What? Just give me a couple of like the toughest or strangest or craziest questions that have been asked of you in those either around the boardroom table or in you know a bigger room setting. The 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 toughest. I don't know if it's so much questions, but the toughest situations that I have is when I don't think you look in the mirror. Like, I think you're oblivious to reality, you know, to okay. the owner. Like, like, I asked the person a question and they said to me, I think my two kids are exactly equal to one another. I'm not talking about like two kids are twins and like, I'm, <laughs> you know, I got two kids and I think, I think they're exactly equal. Like, and I'm thinking to myself, like exactly equal, like they're equally hardworking, they're equally intelligent, they're equally driven, they're equally, you know, it's like, so like, it's like, I don't even know what to say to somebody when they tell yeah. me that. Or, or, or the other one that's the hardest is, oh, my kids, my kids have the greatest relationship. They get along. They would never fight if we weren't here. You know, they always get along because in essence, what they're really saying is I'm a great parent. That's what they're really telling me mm -hmm. is that they're a great parent because to have all of the kids just never fight and always get along. And if we're not here, they're not going to bicker over things and they're always going to do the right thing. That's a sign of how good of a job you did as a parent. So if you admit to the fact that they may not do that, to some degree, you're almost admitting that it, you failed in some degree as a parent. That's very interesting. Okay? Yeah. And nobody wants to admit that. But most people are realistic and they'll say, well, you know, my son and daughter don't always get along and I don't always get along with my daughter-in-law and, and, you know, my kids aren't exactly equal. So like sometimes when I'm dealing with people who I think are either just lying or they're oblivious, it makes it much, much harder to work with those people because anytime I'm going to bring up an issue, I'll be like, well, that would never happen with my kids. You know, my kids would never do that. Well, whereas a little bit of conflict and tension with siblings and business is good. Too much of that where it's unhealthy and bad relationship is toxic. But if it's all sweet and no one wants to say anything to anybody, you're, you're not going to get anywhere. I know. I mean, I, I speak from looking in our own mirror, I guess, if you will. <laughs> all spending nine months on Zooms. Have we ever looked in the mirror as much as... Uh, as we have in 2020, technically. 
What, what, you know so what, you know what, what the, the analogy I would give to that? It's like the parent who tells you right up through high school how perfect their kid is, not only how smart they are, but like they never got into trouble and they don't smoke pot and they don't drink and they don't smoke cigarettes. Like they get like an A plus in everything. And like, you know, you know somebody who knows their kids and knows that they don't have the foggiest idea what their kids do. And then their kids go to like college and then they like explode because they're out. out their of parents the aren't controlling them. And then they're doing the wildest, craziest things in college. So it's like, it's those types of things where, where like people are just not realistic about, you know, their family and their kids. It's much, much harder to help people like that. Sure. I mean, the, the, look, the biggest scandal would have been a bigger story except for other global pandemic stories but that whole varsity blues thing sure. with parents doing whatever they did to get kids into schools that they weren't necessarily even qualified to be in and be successful at was about it was projection of the parents and that badge not really what it's was right for it's not about the kids it's yeah. that they want to be able yeah. to tell their friends yeah that the kids got into Penn or usc whatever it is especially if you're like a high profile person like you know you're a, one of these titans on wall street and the, and the kid doesn't get into a top school, it's like almost like, well, what happened here? You know what right, I'm saying? That's so, the other side of it, right? That, that's so, then so yeah, that's it. Look, the, you know, some of those things that just they exist in life and it's very, that kind of stuff is, is very widely, it's widespread, that kind of stuff. So I've asked you a bunch of questions. What, what, like, what question should I have asked you <laughs> that I didn't? And then what question would you want to know? Because we're just still getting, we're just getting to know each other. We were introduced, that's cool. And you've got this, you know, years of expertise in guiding and counseling and working on this generational business area and space. I just am in one of them and doing a little podcast to educate myself because it's sort of something I'm passionate about. But so what else should I have asked you? And then what questions do you have for me? Well, I'll answer the latter one first. I mean, you know, fortunately, we did get to speak for a few minutes before we started because it is important. You know, sometimes it's obvious who the listeners would be to a podcast. Sometimes it's not, but, you know, helping me because there's, you know, I do more than just what we spoke about today for clients, but, you know, I focused a lot of it in this space because I got the sense from you that both you're from a family business and that a lot of your listeners and, and yes. the people that you have speak are. So I felt that that would be important. So that, that was important. Um, you know, look, you know, you, you, you asked me a little bit like how I got into this. And I think you asked me like a, a you know, I, I think you asked me a lot of good questions. There isn't anything like just like that hits okay. me that says like, that's a question you should have asked me. And I, I mean, I guess the I, one more follow on, which is, so as I said, I've gotten into this subject matter and I've identified these people who are, uh, I went to a family business magazine has their conference twice a year called Transitions. You might be aware of it. Okay. And they give you a badge with your name on it. It says G2 or G3 or G4 or whatever, or G1. And so you, as you see these different people and they have this great way of seating you with everybody differently, mixing everybody up. But you, this sort of the, not Gatorade flavors, but G2 and G3 and G4 representing those down the lines of those things that those people have gone through are going through and sharing with each other. And what are you saying? Cause a lot of, as you deal with the founders in certain ages that start to deal with retirement and health and all that, are you seeing some things different in the quote next generation? Uh, and, in some of, if, if they would be some of these younger business leaders or we'll call them, you know, millennials or late Xers, whatever, just in their approach to business and family and this subject matter. I would say there's probably significant. I mean, I'm going to give you a general comment. Obviously, there's you know major exceptions to every every rule. I would say that the generation of like the the people today that are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, you know that World War II, you know Korean War, that that baby boomer generation. Mm -hmm. I think there's tremendous loyalty that those people have to everybody, their employees, to their customers to their advisors i think that i think that they are they do a lot of things from their gut mm -hmm. you know then they don't research things as much a lot of it is just what they think their gut tells them is right to do i think as you get down in the generations 
I don't think that the same loyalty to customers, the same loyalty to employees, the same loyalty to advisors. Hmm. I think there's a lot more research done. I think there's a, you know, clearly the younger generations, you know, don't like to spend a lot of time meeting. They'd rather, I mean, now you have Zoom, so that's kind Different of like- ways to communicate. But a lot more is like text messages and mm -hmm. emails and like, I can't really help somebody doing just text messages. Like Not I got to meet do. somebody and meet them and see their face and touch and feel them a little bit and understand what they're dealing with. So I think that, and again, those are very general comments I'm making, you know, not everybody is like that, but I would say to you that um, in general, that's what I find. I mean, one of the most interesting things attending that, that conference years ago was those founders or those people that had those businesses been around a long, long time, somewhere in either the, somewhere in the mid to late eighties, almost every single one of them, the one universal theme was that was like the computerization of every one of these businesses. So when you talk about being data-driven or gut-driven, they'd had a lot of experience pre of having all of that, any sort of data at their fingertips. Now what we have as far as access to data and dashboards 30 years later is you know phenomenal. So that was, that, because I, I mean, I was just starting in business at that point. And so the idea of sort of getting on the computers and using that was as innate for me as it, as it is for, you know, a smartphone is for somebody a generation younger. Uh, and we'll see how those things play out, I guess, in these kind of businesses you advise. Oh, no, no, no questions. Hey, look, um, these younger generations bring a lot of value to the yeah. business. There's a lot that they bring that they could take businesses to whole nother levels, you know, so I think it's a good balance. Well, Stephen Goodman, it was really super to meet you virtually to see someone else who has passion and fire for helping and the cause, if you will, of, of family owned businesses or close sale businesses or generational businesses and, and, uh, and, and the communication and the, I mean, I'm a planner by trade, I guess. So, I respect that, but I also know people who don't. And uh, how is it that people find you if they want to do some planning with a small P or capital P? And uh, I appreciate that. So a couple of things. They can go to a, a site I have. It's not my main site, but it's called stephengoodman.biz. On that site, they can download a free copy of my book. So okay. that's one thing. They could also go to shgplanning.com, which is my main company site. I probably have 70 articles that I've written there. So there's a lot of great, great information on a lot of stuff. It's not just succession planning, it's estate planning, it's insurance, it's investments, it's annuities, it's, it's pension planning. I mean, it's just a lot of great stuff there. And uh, my email address is sgoodman at shgplanning.com. Uh, and my cell number, which today with COVID running around 516-297-7390 is best way to reach me if they want to call me. Super. Um, now we know how to find you. I, I, uh, I learned some things. I got some notes here and, and I, I thank you for taking the time to further the cause of Generation Excellence. Well, thank you again. It's great. And I hope your listeners got some value. Well, they will. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to Sam Daly, Eric Head, and Joel Bienenfeld at SMZ for helping make Generation Excellence, well, excellent. Until next time, I'm Jamie Michelson.